0: thanks for tuning in to high on horror i'm drew
1: and i'm john this episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time
0: today we're giving you part two of our interview with brian usna and we're also going to review bride of reanimator and prey
1: and of course we're going to answer a few questions from some listeners out there that you all sent in to us all
0: that and more today on high, high on, on horror. horror interviews reviews and the latest news all rolled into one All right, we got a big show ahead of us here today, so we got to start it off right by getting toasted. It's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where we discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on
1: in each episode. John, what do we got today, brother? I got some more of that sour kosher. It's at 18%, John. Oh, <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice.
0: 18%.
1: Yeah, we had it two weeks ago. I'm finally all out of the Colorado weed. I. I rationed it enough that it's finally all gone.
0: Oh, it's a sad day. But hey, you enjoyed the shit out of it, and thank you for sharing with me. I've enjoyed the shit out of it. Um, so the current event that we're talking about this week while we smoke is Prey. We're dedicating this strain wreck to reviewing Prey, which is now streaming on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. I was a little confused earlier. I couldn't find it on Disney+. Plus. Turns out that it's exclusive to the UK on Disney+. And over here in the US, it's on Hulu. So... If you're in America, you know, don't go looking for fuck it on Disney yeah. Plus.
1: <laughs> America, fuck yeah. Watch that recently. It's always Team good.
0: Oh man, it's fucking hilarious. Anyway, okay. Uh, so, Ten Cloverfield Lanes, Dan Trachtenberg directed the latest film in the Predator franchise, Total Prey. The film was written by Dan and Patrick Ason, who's done some work on Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan and Wayward Pines. Prey takes place some 300 years ago before the first film, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger from 1987, and is the Predator's first time on Earth. In Prey, the Predator is hunting a Comanche tribe, but we all know that the Predators hunt the Alpha, and in this case, it's a female warrior named Nauru, played by Amber Midthunter from the show Roswell, New Mexico. She must rely on her own weapons that she made and her wits to take out the Predator.
1: Yeah, I, so I'm going to bring up a couple things. The movie, to me, did not... Maybe it's just me. I didn't feel like I was watching something necessarily set in the 1700s. It didn't feel like 300 years ago to me. Okay. And uh, you know who I'm going to bring up. What director I'm going to bring up next.
0: Robert Eggers. Robert
1: Eggers, yep. I mean, I feel like he would have made it feel like it was set 300 years ago.
0: Mel Gibson did a good job on Apocalypto. He would have done a good job, too. I feel
1: like her clothes actually were having it play in the background right now. Like her clothes just look too clean. I understand to me. that. And like, she, like when she's chasing the deer, like it looks like, like she's out here sliding, jumping like it's fucking Assassin's Creed. <laughs> and the Comanche, like, I don't know if there was a specific reason. I, But like, like, comanche women there's there were no warriors like i don't want to come off as sexist but like it's just a fact they were in charge of the domicile and taking care of kids yep. but there's so many other tribes that had female warriors that like they could have used there's uh the dahomey amazons were like frontline soldiers for the kingdom of dahomey in west africa i mean and they were even a contemporary to the comanches at this time in africa like i just feel like i don't I don't, like, like like they could have picked a tribe that was actually represented in that way. Like, I even tried to do research on, like, any Comanche, like, female warriors, and there was, like, nothing. And they said that, like, when the Comanches would raid other tribes, they would take the women as slaves and stuff. So, like, I don't think they're... they were not progressive, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I don't think that uh, I'm not saying that this movie doesn't acknowledge it. I think that what you're saying is kind of the point of the movie that a woman can be a warrior, and we'll get to that later. That's in my, I guess I'll get to that I'll get to that later. Not that I think that that's the way it should have gone or anything. But um, did you have something else? you wanted to do? <laughs> I don't
1: know it? if I should save it for later. Talk about the French. Do you want me to wait or yeah? Just wait one more. Okay. Just wait one second.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the Predator is played by Dan DiLiegro. hope i'm saying that right predator looks awesome yeah and uh he does a lot of roles in which he's under latex and heavy makeup he's a former basketball player who played eight seasons for teams in italy and israel he's a big guy at six foot nine but that's still a little small compared to kevin peter hall who played jungle hunter and city hunter predator in the first two films who stood at seven foot two
1: yeah it's it's a it's an older predator it's a younger one so well i mean not like age wise but just like a younger version of the predator so maybe that's why he's not seven feet
0: maybe yeah like maybe yeah that could be and uh well the predator in prey is called feral predator and like you said john he is badass looking and uh dan trachtenberg uh wanted the creature to be leaner and meaner and wanted to show more of the creature in regards to what armor it wears and whatnot Feral Predator has thin dreads and a bone biomask, but no plasma caster. The Predator's shoulder gun isn't in this film because it'd be too unfair of a fight and to show how this Predator comes from before the invention of the plasma caster. His weapons are more primitive, but still high-tech. Will the Predator's first hunt on Earth be a successful one, or will the Command Shoe Warrior make the Predator the prey?
1: Okay, I'll jump in here. I was Another thing I wanted to say was they chose the French to kind of be like another antagonist. Yeah. But, like, of the European settlements, like, (laughs) colonists, like, they respected the natives, they treated them like humans, and, like, the natives in turn treated the French like friends. Like, more intermarriage happened between the French settlers and natives than the natives with any other European settlement. Like, they could have easily picked the English. I mean, we all know how bad that is. I don't know if maybe they just wanted to change it up.
0: Um, I appreciate the history lesson you're giving us on this This is pretty interesting
1: Maybe that's what's bothering me too much Is like the history part and i'm like well this is bullshit
0: (laughs) like i said the comanche you know female warrior i could understand as being like you know oh yeah she's the first like she's you know like they're trying to make like a woman tough and like you know say that women can fight and i'm not saying they can't but you know what i'm saying they're they're trying to make a point that oh you know like she's the tough one she's the one that stood up and could do it when they said nobody you know women did do it but
1: but she also does get like those ray from star wars star wars (laughs) star wars where like man she's this quick of a learner
0: yeah Yeah, and uh, that's what you know. I was going to say. So my opinion of the film is uh, the action scenes are incredible and uh, violent. Exactly what you want from a Predator film.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the fucking blood of Gorg's is top-notch.
0: And uh, the best scene for me is when we see the Predator taking on a group of French Voyagers, as you just discussed. Those French Voyagers, they get fucking massacred. We see the Predator like we've never seen him in action before. That shield is badass. Yeah, he's just taking on so many foes at once. And I like that the Predator isn't untouchable. He's just tough as fucking nails and walks it off. Every scene of action I thought was well done. I'd even use the word thrilling um this brings me to the cgi and practical effects which i also think are good i saw a few reviews online that said this movie suffered from some bad cg at times but they didn't specify when and maybe over repeated viewings i'll catch something but for my first viewing i thought the effects were solid and i thought the predator is definitely one ugly motherfucker (laughs) i like the new design not as much as the version from the first predator but i like it it's new and it's scary looking
1: Yeah, I know you don't play games, but some of the listeners out there, he kind of looks like a character from the game Apex called Revenant, but he's more of a robot, but just the face thing.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, I have no idea who you're talking about.
1: (laughs) I wanted to say uh, there was one line in the movie that uh, it made me think of a completely different movie. Uh, When her brother talks Like after, she's like, oh, I don't think we can kill this. Right. And he goes, if it bleeds, we can kill it. All I thought of Tell me, do you bleed? Tell me. Do you bleed? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he said that, man, it just took me to Batman vs. Superman, like right away. Um, I will say there was one scene that I just thought was super cheesy. Okay. It looks cool, but just like as it happens. And you see that ant crawling on the predator, yeah. Because he, and then the rat grabs the ant and he's eating it. Yeah. Then the snake comes up. Yeah, it's like a whole food chain thing. Exactly. The snake comes up and then, like the, predator up predator and then the predator prey. kills yeah. the snake. I was like, that was a little, that was a little too over the top.
0: I liked it. I I like. I didn't mind that one. I definitely liked it. I uh, I thought the snake thing was pretty cool.
1: And uh, also, I was talking about how her clothes are clean. Yeah tell me how she how she stuck in that mud comes out and just puts some water and like yep she looks super clean again I know I,
0: I definitely agree like again that's going to come I'll, I'll get to it in my final verdict but uh her um I feel that like she overall was just too, like they tried to just keep her too pretty and clean the whole time like she didn't get dirty and messy enough she just was like I don't know if it was contractual because she didn't want to get dirty and like or if that was just like the way they wanted her in the film but like i don't like how she's kind of in a way idolized where it's like she can't be dirty or blemish like she's always perfect looking I mean, like she, she, she definitely the should end be of the movie she but... definitely should be dirty as hell you know like i agree with you 100 percent. and she i didn't seem to have soap or nothing with her washing those clothes so yeah that's a lot of mud to get out it's and they se- dried pretty fucking quick
1: too. and it's the 1700s so like you don't have like running water
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and uh, I
1: mean, she gets <coughs> dirty at the end, but that's to be expected in like, yeah, like
0: in movies like this yeah. for sure.
1: And uh, my one last complaint I got to say is at one point in the movie, uh, how does he not know? I think it's the French we had talked about the French. How does he not know the one leg guy's alive? Like he's got heat vision.
0: Oh no, because she gives him the orange flowers that cool as blood. Uh, well, so that's what yeah. he didn't know. And then he, yeah,
1: it's going to cool. You blood that much. I call bullshit. I mean, it
0: worked on her too. That's why he doesn't see her, you know, like towards the end. He of also the sexist, but,
1: <laughs> um, no, right, here but, i uh, them annoying French deeds.
0: You're not going to hear any, uh, but you're not going to hear about any Oscar noms from these performances. There's nothing Man. great in any of the acting. It's, it's, it's good enough to not complain about, uh, yeah. nothing stands out in a good way or bad. Yeah. Uh, the predators form, the predators performance was fantastic though. Dante DiLiegro fucking killed it. Um, I really like how we saw the predator by himself hunting animals. The scene where he fights the wolf is awesome. The uh, the bear scene is so much more than what was shown in the trailer. That was not ruined by the trailer. Trust me. The scene that scene is fucking awesome.
1: Okay, <laughs> the bear. How the fuck is she going to outrun a goddamn bear? Them things can run like 38 miles an hour. She is again not getting away from that bear. It's catching her and mauling the fuck out of her. Uh,
0: it's gonna, uh, yeah, the, the Revenant. We all saw what happened to Leo in the Revenant. Bear I, rape. I still think it's funny people say it's bear rape. It's not. He <laughs> totally getting ripped apart by its claws. But anyway, uh, I didn't expect the Predator to uh, take the bear on in a fight like that. The Predator, you know... The, the, this predator film did what other predator films in the past have failed at, and that's making it goddamn suspenseful. So suspenseful that at every turn, I was worrying or wondering: is the predator watching them, like in his invisible creeper mode? You know, like his invisible presence, creeper mode. His presence is felt in every scene. Once you see him land on Earth, you're always wondering: is he there watching? And the pace of the uh, and the pace and the plot moves along quickly, but not too quickly. We get the character development and character growth of Naru, so that the end fight scene is set up without a fault um the music by sarah schnockner i hope i'm pronouncing Ooh. that properly uh, it's great it's a great compliment to the film she scored a lot of uh, games and stuff like call of duty and assassin's creed so she really knows how to put on an epic score <clears throat> all right so let me talk to you now I'll tell you all my complaint about the film as I uh, one more thing
1: about the bear scene okay yeah go ahead uh I wanted to say I did not expect the predator to get kind of fucked up by the bear as right. well. I just expected him to just run through the bear, but he kind of gets, he kind of gets stomped out there a little bit.
0: Yeah, He actually gets taken down. the The bear kind of kibibs him for a bit. <laughs> <He> kibibs him. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah. So my biggest complaint is a spoiler. Um, I'm not trying to do too many spoilers on this review because this is such a fresh movie, but uh, I won't go too, too much into detail. But um, I would have liked this movie a lot more if Naru took a lot more damage than she does in the final fight. The lack of damage that she takes literally made me take an entire point off of my rating for this movie. If she was limping and covered in blood like Arnold or Danny Glover were, Danny Glover were battle-worn from the fight, I'd have given this movie a solid 8.5. I mean, those guys, those guys win, but they get the shit beat out of them. Like they, they are barely alive. And uh, I feel like due to today's movies being social commentaries and pushing agendas that they made her too untouchable and not only did that make it unrealistic but it took me out of it i felt that they were just trying to make her a hero instead of trying to make her just barely survive the fight which is the way it should have went they wanted a female protagonist to be a complete badass and they they totally overdid it um she should not have walked away from the fight in the condition that she did overall it's the best predator film since the first but it's still a drop from how good the first one was i give this a 7.5 out of 10
1: Alexa Woods was more badass than Nauru. <laughs> AVP. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I didn't like this movie.
0: You didn't like it? I,
1: I figured you would have figured I was going this way with as many complaints as no, i had about No, 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 no. I thought that no, this was... the, the most succ- suspenseful part for me was, is this over? Oh, damn. Like Really? I'm going, like, sub four on this. Like, I did not like it <laughs> at all. Are you serious? I, I would say I like it more than The Scream. I don't know what I rated Scream. Sad, I, I think you gave Scream a uh, 6. Really? Did yeah, I? Yeah. Well, I like this better than Scream, but I did, I did not care for this. I was excited. Wow. I, th- I, th- I thought that you were going to. Okay. I'm thought, surprised. I'm glad yeah. that you didn't tell me before we recorded. Yeah. I talked to Josh. He's, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a give out Josh's info on this here. He said he turned it off in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> he That's said he fine. didn't make it through. That's fine. He's
0: a, he's a fan of that he's dude. Said, he's fucking a fan of the, sucks. of the original uh, David Lynch Dune, though, and that movie's pretty unbearable Damn, unless you're a fan of the book. Are we are so. going to edit that it's part right. out? It's it's all right, Josh, gonna, I get you.
1: I get you. Josh going to edit that out. It's just going to end with, uh, <laughs> with me saying that Josh thought it sucked.
0: Maybe if the yeah, maybe if the Predator jumped on some sandworms, it would have been mm. all right. You know? No, I'm just fucking... The <laughs> living in
1: bloodworms. <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> anyway, that's crazy you didn't like the movie.
1: I wanted to like it, but no. I would... I'd, I mean there's been some bad predator movies as well, but one and two are probably my my top two. Okay. Um and alien versus predator. I would take I that. Mean, in alien
0: vs. Predator is pretty solid. Well you well, I mean I'm not I wasn't counting them. If we're counting the alien vs. predators, and I mean that I would rank both of those probably over this.
1: Yeah, I mean there is a lot of cool stuff, but I just feel like like I said, I didn't feel like it was... I just feel like they said it was the 1700s. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I just felt like it was a Predator movie. Like, why all this, like, pressing on the Comanches? Like, obviously they had command I don't know. It just... I, I, I didn't connect with it.
0: Okay. That's totally... That's that's understandable. Well,
1: the funny thing is after I had my opinion, I said, let me go read the reviews figure and... Figuring, oh, it's a predator movie. It always gets hate. Nah, this, one's, <laughs> this one's beloved. I'm like, like, oh, I guess i Rotten Rotten on huh?
0: Yeah, it's like a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. You wrong on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm the asshole on this one. <laughs> but uh, you never said what your rating was. You never said you. Oh, I'm said,
1: gonna go with a 3.4.
0: A three? Is that a joke or are you dead serious? I'm dead serious, a dude. 3. I did not 4, like this movie. Uh, wow. Okay. I couldn't
1: wait for it to be over. <laughs> Damn. So you didn't enjoy
0: any of the action scenes with the Predator? You I did. Enjoy... That's why it's a
1: three point four. at oh, so, so of...
0: all the, so you enjoyed the Predator of the movie, but like yeah, everything else, yeah, that else. was it. Okay. Do you think the Predator looked? Would you say he looked? Yeah, badass, yeah. I right?
1: like I like the look. I like his I like his weapons. Like the mask was badass. Like. But Every, what do you, how do you feel was,
0: about what I said though about her being a fan of the first Predator, especially? I know you're like not huge on two, but of the first film, when you see like what Arnold's big superhero-looking motherfucking self goes through to fight a Predator, how do you feel about Neru walking I mean, away? I like, i think he hits her once. I think he hits her in the back with his shield. It's like a scratch, and I'm like, how is that? The I like only? That shield though. I know, but I'm like, but like seriously, like you're like 120 pounds, and you're like probably five foot two fighting a fucking almost seven-foot predator. Arnold Schwarzenegger and a had a hard time. And a day and a half time.
1: ago, you couldn't even fucking hunt. That's what That's I'm saying. That's my point. So, like, there's just shit.
0: She should have been, like, if it would have been so much more believable if she was just, like, limping her way up that hill. like Right, to Shawn like, Michaels' land. It's just like, she's just, you know, the two
1: walked away a little
0: scot-free, and it's just a little... Like you said, just you learned that quickly and are able to. turtle take on this predator that has all this hunting. They tried to just make the female the hero too strong. I have no problem with heroes. I love Ripley. We love Ripley. Yeah. You know, with Sarah Connor, bring it on. But sometimes when it's forced, it's forced. And this was one of those cases where it's definitely like forced. they even
1: went to emphasize that she could not do like anything.
0: And I will say, regardless of if you like the movie or not, I do think that turning it off 15 minutes in, Josh, is a little <laughs> harsh. I mean, I don't even think the predator landed on Earth at that point. Like, so I mean... you gotta at least you know give the predator it was like assassin
1: watching assassin's creed with their fucking parkour and through the forest
0: (laughs) you know actually though and one last thing that i'll say before we move on is that one thing that i was disappointed in is that uh by the way this scene with the net is pretty awesome i I forgot about that but uh the one thing that i did want to bring up was that you know you can watch this film in two versions you can watch it in english or you can watch it in comanche mode where they speak actual like comanche and it's subtitled that's the way that i went with watching it because i'm a fan of films like apocalypto where it's like you don't really know what's being said almost takes you like it almost makes you in the moment because you know i I just i like that i also don't mind subtitles so i watched it in comanche mode but something that really messed me up was that i thought that they had filmed two versions of like every scene and where like one was spoken in comanche and one was english and it was literally just like comanche voiceovers like while they spoke english so I was kind oh, of so like that, that was yeah. kind of whack. I thought they went authentic I, with it and like were like making the Comanche. I was wondering Comanche that because
1: didn't. I wanted to watch the Comanche version, but it was kind of a
0: waste because of I your,
1: thought maybe I, I thought maybe it just wasn't available on Hulu because I didn't know it was a separate one you had to click on. I went to the audio and I was like, there's only English, and I was wondering when watching that I'm like, so it definitely matches up to them speaking in English. So that's weird. I would figure that they would have. Re- Recorded, recorded in, scenes, right? in Comanche. Well, like e- even if you were just going to do one, that they would have recorded in Comanche and had the English dub.
0: Right, and uh, yeah. So I'm watching them basically move their mouths in English, as a uh, you know, this Comanche voiceover. It was just you're watching somebody voice over Comanche in Comanche. So it's not really worth it. It kind of took me out of it. I wish that they were speaking it. That would have been even more authentic. But I feel that a lot of the movie, I feel like a lot of the complaints that we have. Uh, like you saying about the 1700s, I totally get it. It's definitely not no Robert Eggers fucking period piece, um, but I feel that like all these things are. And like, uh, the clothes you can't explain away; they should have been dirty. But the scenery, I'm gonna say, is probably budget. I mean, we've had so many failed Predator movies, and this one going extremely to uh, going going exclusively to streaming. I feel that they were like you know. Like, I feel, I don't know, I didn't actually look up the budget on this one, but I feel that this was probably a tighter budget for a monster movie, so they were, like, really struggling to probably, that's probably why it doesn't look like the real 1700s too. I feel that like that was budgetary, but, I mean, still you gotta watch, you know, your ambitions, you know, your ambitions cannot outweigh what you can put out.
1: I mean, like, just dirty to close up a little bit, like, her clothes are always, like, pristine.
0: Yeah, 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 so... All right, well, I guess uh, that's our review for Prey. Got a 7.5 from me and a
1: fucking.
0: 3.4? 3.4 from John, and it solely goes to Dane DeLieger's Predator performance. Uh,
1: So, Dane, no, you were that good, dog. You (laughs) single handedly got this movie a (laughs) 3.4.
0: All right, man, what do you got going on in horror history this week? Horror
1: history? This week in horror history.
0: I no, just I'm, wanted to say I'm that I'm just gonna cut me off so start horror hiss, huh? I just wanted to say that most days I like to say a little something about all the movies that celebrate anniversaries, but I won't this week because there's too many, so go ahead, dude. Just crank them out.
1: Just crank them out. Crank it hog. <laughs> Get that slap it twice. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> just go. All right. Oh man. August ninth, nineteen fifty nine, we have Amanda Bierce. Uh, probably one of the nicest people I've met at Monster Mania.
0: Yeah, that's just tomorrow, the day after this episode airs. Happy birthday, Amanda! And
1: she's in the best vampire movie ever. So. Second, well, but be uh, best, she's but anyway, she's awesome. And she's also she one,
0: played the annoying neighbor Marcy Darcy on Married with Children. Yeah, that's a good um, show.
1: But uh, best vampire movie. Moving on to August eleventh, nineteen forty-seven. We have <laughs> we have uh, director uh, Stuart Gordon, a frequent collaborator with Brian Usna
0: that's right, yeah. Three days before my birthday, Stuart Gordon's. That's pretty cool. Perfect for this episode, too.
1: And uh, Gates of Hell, a.k.a. City of the Living Dead, from 1980. That's turning 42. Classic Fulgi. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, from 1989. That's turning 33. Only good thing from that uh, was the uh, Power Glove scene. Uh, Your fiancé's gonna be pissed. <laughs> Nicole. I mean, she knows it's terrible. I think, actually, Freddy's Dead is the, her favorite. Movie. Oh, her favorite?
0: I, I thought she tolerated it. It's actually, I
1: got, actually, my fault. Uh, when I always bring it up, she's like, oh, yeah, that one's my favorite. It's New Nightmare. Okay,
0: so you can, if you can tolerate part five, you know, if you can tolerate fucking part
1: five at six, then, I mean, that's cool. But if they're your favorites, then we got we got to talk. Uh, from 1960, Black Sunday, turning 62. Classic. From 1977, Suspiria turning 45.
0: Best Argento film
1: ever. Cujo from 1983 turning 39. Like, there's just a bunch of damn good movies. I know,
0: it's crazy. Sometimes, we always say this horror hiss, sometimes it's just like two movies. Yeah, crazy. they're not good. (laughs) If we wanted to put (laughs) on a five-hour episode, we could talk about all these movies right now.
1: Sometimes it's just, you only list them because they're known. It's yeah right it's good
0: right and the funny thing is what that what if we did that one time we're like we're just going to talk about all the movies in horror history and then just be like well that's three hours that's today's episode <laughs> we'll give you another episode oh <sighs> anyway sorry yeah.
1: anyway skeleton key from 2005 that's turning 17 it's a good movie turning 12 i saw the devil from 2010 another good movie turning 40 years old 1982 friday the 13th part three straight 40 Straight 40 1992 Braindead A.K.A. Dead Alive Turning 30 Uh, Not a good Friday The 13th movie From 1993 Turning 29 Jason Goes to Hell The final Friday (laughs) He said not a good Jason movie It's not a good one (laughs) Agreed And uh, the last one here I mean Why not mention this one From 2004 Turning 18 it's now legal alien versus predator
0: (laughs) dude how crazy is it that it's 18 years old i remember buying the trade not the trade i'm not talking a comic about a trade paperback i remember buying the paperback novel and fucking uh barnes and noble in the christiana mall i had a white cover with the predator and the alien on the cover i remember buying the book being and i'm like 18 years ago like i feel so fucking old i remember
1: gia kenny and i were Kenny and I saw that like back
0: in high school You see it in the theaters? Yeah Sweet I saw it on my birthday for theater, in the theaters Yeah Yeah
1: so uh, this week there's a lot of good shit
0: Well wait uh, also, I also had to hit you with this uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla oh, Came out in 1962 this week uh, Turning 60 years old So Had to hit you with that one Can't forget my Godzilla Of
1: course Godzilla
0: <laughs> Hater
1: Anyway I think uh, now it's time to get into P.P.A. Buff Puff Ass, the segment of our show where we answer questions that you guys send us via social media at High on Horror 420, email at High on 420 at gmail.com, or our website, High on Horror.com.
0: Okay, uh, this question comes from my wife, Sam, actually. Uh, she asked uh, me a question, and I wanted to bring it to you as well, John. I thought I'd bring it to the table here. Uh, she asked, What is uh, my favorite way? for a vampire to die in movies so that's the question what is your favorite way for a vampire to die in movies i.e turn to a- turn to ass really uh, turn to ash
1: <laughs> turn to, ass. Turn to I ash i want to
0: see this movie turn to goo or what uh gianna my- probably in that one. Oh god uh <laughs> okay my answer is that uh I usually just like it when people turn back into humans, like in The Lost Boys. Like uh, Same as like with Werewolves, like in Silver Bullet and American Werewolf in London. At the end, the beast just kind of turns back into human. So that's my answer. I like to keep it classic.
1: I mean, I talked about it when we talked about the greatest vampire movie ever, Fright Night. I like to see that motherfucker burn up. I want to see a clever way that they get tricked into fucking being in the sunlight and then the motherfuckers melt.
0: Gosh, so you, uh, what about like Near Dark where like Lance Hendrickson... And uh, uh, his uh, woman, I can't remember her name now, when they're in the car and they just crisp up like Chucky at the end of Child's Play 3. Vampire Bait Child's Play 2. Oh my God, am I serious? I said, Child's Play 1. What am Child. I doing? Child's <laughs> Play 1.
1: It's the hilarious thing that, and and you did, that. did <laughs> this last week. What, what the, or when we? Oh, when we were watching Allegoria. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that movie, but uh, yeah, you made a reference and that same shit happened. <laughs> I, like, like I try to make a reference. You got of- down to child's play too, and then like you realized it right as I was saying it. Where I'm like, wait, do you mean the original child? And you're like, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. That's why I was like, I always like mix up the child's plays. That's why I was literally like, no, the first one. He's burned at the first one, but like, what do you feel about that one? They just burned to a crisp. Like, does yeah, that that's my you? favorite. Okay, okay, but uh. When, but so your favorite's not like the best way, which is like in the Lost Boys when they just like turn back into human. Like, the th- best how's that the ever. best
1: way? They get to be human again. That's lame. Well, I mean, they just. I want to you know, see, see fucking melt like you the Wicked Witch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you want to see them melt, or do you want to see them burn?
1: I mean, kind of same thing. It's like a little melty fire. Well, what about what
0: werewolves? I mean? What about werewolves? You want werewolves to turn into goo?
1: No, nah, silver bullets.
0: But what, I mean, what do you want to happen when they get I shot? I want their head
1: to explode. <laughs> Come on, you fucking... <laughs> I Yo, feel like
0: I'm on Dr. Phil right now. I'm analyzing the shenanigans. No, like, for werewolves, how No, but you I'm replace? just
1: saying, like, a bullet, a silver bullet, and then you just see a werewolf head explode, like...
0: But what, and then like it just dies as a wolf? Do you want to turn back into human? You want nah, to...
1: I don't want any of these things to turn back into humans, that's lame.
0: Nah, man, so you're, okay, so you just completely asked backwards today.
1: <laughs> anyway, what's your question? What do you got? Uh, are we looking forward to the new Blade movie? I mean, I want I want Wesley Snipes. <laughs> I want him back, but he's a little too old now.
0: He spent all of his time in Blade 3 getting high in his trailer. Getting, oh, hell yeah. It up. You know, Wesley smokes the good shit, too. I
1: mean, yeah, come on here, Wesley. We, I hate taxes, too, man.
0: <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to the new Blade. Blade 2 is my shit. I'm all for it. Uh, I wish it was rated R, though, like Deadpool. But, I mean, yeah, I'm 100% looking forward to it.
1: Is it not rated R? No, they I th- I announced thought, that I it thought, was da- I thought it was supposed to be that
0: was the original intention, and then last like last year they said that it is in fact going to be a PG thirteen film. So that dampens it a little bit because yeah. I always think of Wesley Snipes in the first one when the cops are shooting at him in a hospital.
1: Motherfucker, are you out of your damn mind? Yeah. He's
0: not gonna have lines like that or in Blade Two, you know, when he's like, You do not know who you're fucking with. Like there's a lot of good lines that he's not gonna have now or not be able to use.
1: And I mean I think what they really need to bring back for it's Triple H.
0: <laughs> I, w- I want to see him. He should have uh, done his like water bottle spit <laughs> like with blood. You know, yeah, just, had, like, some just have some Motorhead playing. Just have some Motorhead playing. Some random Motorhead song jam. R.I.P. Lemmy. Yeah, right. Anyway, we're rambling. who wrote, yeah, did I didn't you, even did answer say? the question. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you didn't even answer the question. Did you even read <laughs> a name name or whoever where <laughs> it came Shit, from?
1: No, I didn't write nothing down. I'm high. <laughs> if you wrote it, you know who you is. <laughs> You, you can okay. take credit on social media. I won't fight you. At least, at least answer the question. Okay. Yes.
0: You are looking forward to it. Okay. Just, I mean, yes.
1: it's Blade. I mean, why? 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 Why do I not want to see it? What's
0: there not to look forward to, right? But
1: again, the snipe man ain't in it, so I'm a little worried.
0: Well, they wanted him to originally play Dracula, and then I guess along with the rating shift from a R to PG-13, it's like now. Wesley Snipes isn't going to play Dracula, now fucking Homelander from, uh, I can't, the dude, I can't think of his name. Oh, Jeffree Star. Yeah, he's... Oh, no,
1: wait, a- I don't think that's right. Is it? No. I no. You know I what? think Jeffree Star just is gonna somebody... I'm going to say
0: Homelander. You- the, it's really unprofessional of me, but I don't know the guy's name like that. <laughs> that,
1: that, that dude who plays that Homelander John.
0: He's supposed to be playing Dracula now.
1: Anthony Star?
0: Yeah, wait, wait, Who you did you say? Jeremy or Jeffrey Star? I agree oh. with you, like, yeah. Who is
1: Jeffree Star? I feel
0: there Brian anyway uh, now let's get on to the focus of our show Bride of Reanimator our guest today Brian Usna took the helm on directing the sequel to the legendary Reanimator Bride of Reanimator came as part of a two picture deal that Brian had made with the idea that if his film society underperformed that he do a sequel to Reanimator society did underperform unfortunately but now it's a hit and the real blessing is that we got bride of reanimator mm-hmm. out of the deal i love this movie um brian said that this film is meant for real horror fans uh the first idea was to have dan kane and megan halsey at the, halsey at the center but that didn't work out and jeffrey combs returns as your favorite mad scientist herbert west don't ask how Um, and uh, he takes the center with Dan did his homework with this one he actually used things from Lovecraft's Herbert West reanimator that didn't make it into the first film like the head in the box and uh, veteran actor Claude Earl Jones joins is the cast. he related to James Earl?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, he, I don't know. That, that's something actually to look into. Um, but uh, yeah, he joins the cast. Uh, this one along with Halloween 4's Kathleen Kinmont.
1: Oh, we know who Kelly Meeker is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, film originally got an X rating. So they had to reel it back for that R rating. But the good news is that you can purchase the unrated version on Blu-ray and things like that. So it's not like it's unseeable. The unrated version's out there, and it's worth it. The unrated version of the 1st reanimator, Re-Animator, not worth it. The unrated version of Bride of Reanimator, worth it.
1: Well, thanks for breaking that one, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bride of Reanimator is a 1990 American comedy horror film produced and directed by today's guest once again, Brian Usna and... Also written by Usna, Rick Fry, and Woody Keith. It's the sequel to the 1985 film Reanimator in the middle chapter in the Reanimator series, and it's based around Herbert West's Reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft. <clears throat> uh, the plot of Bride of uh, Reanimator roughly follows Episode 5, The Horrors from the Shadows, and 6, The Tomb Legends of Lovecraft story, and it follows Herbert West and Dan Kane as they attempt to create a living woman from dead tissue. The film stars Bruce Abbott, Claud Earl Jones, Fabian Udino, David Gale, Kathleen Kinma, and of course Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West. And it was also followed with a sequel, Beyond Reanimator, released in
0: two thousand three. Brian Yuzna did that one as well.
1: And uh, I believe you can pick that. Well, you can pick them all up uh, on voodoo. I've seen them all on there.
0: Oh uh, yeah, they're they're well they're <coughs> all well received. And, uh, I think Vestron Video. Uh, they're not paying us, but I'm going to name drop them anyway. Vestron Video released uh, Beyond Reanimator on Blu-ray, and I think Era Video did as well.
1: And uh, our story picks up eight months after our boys Herbert West and Dan Kane wreck shit at Missatonic University. <laughs> and uh, they find themselves as medics in smack dab in the middle of the Peruvian Civil War. Uh, do you know that conflict's still ongoing to this day?
0: No, that's crazy.
1: Here, I'm, I'm going to give you a little knowledge note, some more history for you. Okay. Uh, the Eternal conflict in Peru is an ongoing arms conflict between the government of Peru and the Maoist guerrilla group Shining Path. That's a pretty badass name. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't probably agree with the shit they're doing, but I like the name. <laughs> the conflict uh, began on May 17th, 1980, and from 1982 to 1997, uh, the Tupac, Amora revolutionary movement, waged its own insurgency as the Marxist-Leninist rival to the Shining Path. There's been about approximately 50,000 to 70,000 deaths. Oh. It's the bloodiest war in Peruvian history since the Europeans colonized the country. Oh, shit. Uh, the highest death toll uh, includes a lot of civilian casualties due to the deliberate targeting by the factions, which is... Even worse, uh, that they're just purposely targeting civilians. That's
0: worse. Innocence, man. Yeah.
1: And uh, since 2000, a number of deaths has dropped significantly, and recently the conflict has become dormant. Uh, there's low-level resurgence of violence in 2002 and 2014 uh, when the conflict erupted between the Peruvian army and the guerrilla remnants in the... Uh, uh, there's no way I'm going to pronounce this uh, location correctly. Los vale lo- Rios Apacomec... <laughs> <laughs> EN Montero region so I butchered that I'm sure it's
0: Valley de los Rios a Pyramid yeah, in the Montero region okay that's definitely tough should have YouTube how to say that one
1: uh, I'm, I'm good the conflicts <laughs> lasted over 40 years make it at the second largest or second largest second longest internal conflict in the history of Latin America after the Colombian conflict
0: damn I did not know any of that. that's uh, sickening.
1: and uh, so getting back to our story at hand here. Uh, the <laughs> chaos of battle and with plenty of bodies to work with, uh, they're free to experiment with West's reagent Reanimation Eight reagent. That's a fucking mouthful to get out. When the medic 10 is stormed by enemy troops, West and Kane return home to Arkham, Massachusetts. Uh, there, they resume their former jobs as doctors at Mesotonic University Hospital, and Wes returns to the basement laboratory of Kane's house to continue his research. And uh, with the hospital's morgue, and from a cemetery located next door, Wes starts stealing body parts. Later, he learns his reagent can reanimate body parts all by themselves. And we got that cool little, like, eye fingers?
0: Yes, man, that's so cool, little 3 finger and all.
1: Little 3 finger joint. <laughs> I think that's his actual meme. People, uh, we should have asked Brian if <laughs> That was the official name. Uh, so Wes becomes determined to create an entire living person from body parts. Uh, Wes discovers the heart of Megan Hazley Halsley.
0: Oh, you said Haysley. Let's say Haysley. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> I did say Haysley. Halsley. Damn. Kane's fiance in the hospital morgue, uh, with the promise to use her heart to reanimate a new Megan, West convinced Kane to help him with his project. Of course. Yeah, and uh, like I, I like how. it's Wouldn't you think more the brain would make the person than than necessarily the heart?
0: I don't know. That's not how it worked in Frankenhooker. <laughs>
1: well <laughs> If, you if you're by basing that logic? Your life <laughs> around Frankenhooker i guess i guess you're right anything goes also stored in the morgue is the rest of the evidence from the misatonic massacre inside pathologist dr wilbur graves discovers a vial of west reagent and the severed head of dr carl hill <laughs> and uh he uses the reagent to reanimate hill's head <laughs> that's, that, uh, that's
0: fucking awesome i love that and then, I'm uh, glad we, Hill's back as a villain for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have him back even if he's just literally ahead.
0: Everybody says that he was like the sweetest guy in real <laughs> life, and that's what's funny. Those guys always play, the sweetest guys and women for that matter, always play the biggest assholes on screen and they're super nice in real life. It's funny how that works.
1: Oh, well, we've talked about this to a different movie, but uh, uh, Danny McBride always has the like, reputation like from the characters he plays of just being an asshole, but yep. like on the set of "This Is the End," he was the one like making peace with everybody, right, like, reminding right. everybody they're still friends. I know.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, exactly.
1: Also, I think I feel like with a lot of the stuff for Halloween, where we've seen him talk, I feel like people have got to like maybe know him a little more. That he's not just fucking Kenny Powers.
0: <laughs> not, that any, not that there's anything wrong with and that. The, Kenny uh, Powers was awesome. And the
1: dude from fucking uh, Hot Rod. uh, (laughs) I go to church every goddamn Sunday.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, that was was my favorite line in in Hot Rod. I loved Hot Rod. Hot Rod, people did not like that movie. I thought that movie
1: was funny as shit, man. Anyway. Anyway, Anyway. we're not talking about Hot Rod. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, police officer Lieutenant Leslie Chapham. Begins investigating West and Kane as they were the only unaffected survivors of the massacre. Which you got to think of like why is it just now? Like eight months later, they're getting into that. Like.
0: Right, and like I said, don't ask how they're uh, unaffected. We saw <laughs> fucking Jeffrey Combs uh, being like pulled into like intestines yeah. in the first film, but it was a dream. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the dead body of chapman's wife was reanimated into a crazy zombie during the incident, and he knows West and Kane were responsible. Uh, He stops by their house to question him. He discovers Wes' corpse-filled lab, and the two get into a confrontation. A fight ensues, and Wes kills Chapman by means of a cloth treated with chemicals, which cause cardiac arrest when inhaled. And uh, Wes had already been doing this to get some of the freshest of fresh for the corpses. Freshest of fresh? Yeah. You You need fresh samples. West then reanimates the police officer with the intention of covering up his crime. Chapham violently wanders out of the house and into the cemetery next door. And uh, Hill, who bears a grudge with West, uh, he has psychic powers to command Chapham to force Dr. Graves to stitch bat wings onto his neck, giving (laughs) him back his mobility. And it also extends his mental control to all the zombie survivors, because now he can just fly around.
0: Literally literally turned him into the Avenged Sevenfold logo. <laughs>
1: Dude, that bat head is fucking awesome, though.
0: I know, it really is. He's
1: just got, like, these little bat wings just fucking flapping.
0: The, and, and the but let's, the the scene where they cut the wings off the bat, although the bat's fake as shit, the squealing uh, yeah. and the sound effects still make it hard to watch for me. It's not a cannibal holocaust. You know what I mean, but but still, it's it's definitely hard to watch. Even watching a fake bat in that much pain was pretty brutal.
1: Yeah, he cuts through the bat wings pretty quick. That, that's just how, that's the thing that makes hell. me go, okay, that's not real because he just swoop.
0: Didn't drug the bat neither, just left him there squealing, just man. Pinned him down, just fucking brutal.
1: Anyway, uh, when one of Kane's patients Gloria dies, West collects the last piece he needs—her head. Yeah. I mean, he he could have could have used uh, Hill's head.
0: Could have if yeah.
1: But, well, I don't know. That was pretty dead. Maybe, maybe he just want the wanted a new brain. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Who knows? With a complete body just stitched. wanted a pretty face. Yeah, true. For your zombie. But, uh... <laughs> with a complete body stitched and wired together, West and Kane inject the reagent into Meg's heart. While waiting for the reagent to take effect, the package is delivered to their house. Wes retrieves it and opens it. From inside, Hill's winged head flies out. Simultaneously, the zombies' Hill Control break into the house. Wes retreats back into the basement lab where his creation, the Bride, has awoken. A catfight breaks out between the Bride and Kane's current girlfriend. Catfight! Catfight! <laughs> catfight! Where's Joey Styles when you need him? Ta- I mean, I'm sure if we paid him enough, maybe. <laughs> Uh, but Kane's current girlfriend is Italian journalist Francesca Danelli. I think I said that right. That's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and, they, and <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, I got that. <laughs> they uh met in Peru. Kane rejects the bride's love and sides with Francesca. Heartbroken, the bride rips Meg's heart out of her own chest and then falls to pieces. Is this what you want?" she says. Wes Dyke this as tissue rejection.
0: The, is this what you want? While well, she pulls her heart out and tries to hand it to him. It's like the line of the movie. Fucking awesome scene. It shot well. Like yeah, the, the angle gore, with the... The light flashing. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant scene. It's a great line. It's And it's definitely... Regardless of if you like the movie, don't like the movie, uh, whatever. Like The point is everybody in their lifetime can watch that clip of her pulling her heart out and screaming is this what you want and anybody who's been in any sort of long-term relationship will tell you that they've been there (laughs) and know how that feels if only your chest was just an open cavity that you could reach into and do that that's you know we've all been there you know so it's just a very powerful scene
1: but then like i said you have west who just files it up with he diagnoses it as tissue rejection (laughs) way he does it too tissue rejection (laughs) jeffrey combs is amazing in these movies Hill and his zombies force Wes, Kane, and Francesca to retreat through the walls of the lab and into a crypt in the neighboring cemetery. Inside, all of West's prior test subjects arise and make their way towards them, stopping only when Herbert commands them to. The unstable crypt begins to collapse, trapping Hill, West, and the zombies. Kane and Francesca escape the debris and claw their way to the surface of the cemetery together. Hill is stuck in the debris with Megan's heart still in the hand of the bride stops beating. I mean, I still love the OG Reanimator best, uh, but this is not a bad follow-up. Uh, it's really a lot of the same in this movie, and like, I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, if you love Reanimator, I would say there's little doubt to me that you wouldn't like this movie. Uh, the The effects are still good. I mean, they feel dated So there's things where you see effects, but they feel dated, but like they're done well. Mm-hmm, Yep and uh, the comedy's in the right spots like I said I, lo- I love the fucking tissue rejection line I'm, I would give it a 7.5 7.6 out of 10
0: very nice yeah um, uh, I think that this film stands toe to toe with the first reanimator it's not as good but it's damn good and a solid follow up to what essentially seems unnecessary you know and I mean that in the most respectful terms but when you hear that they did a sequel to reanimator my first thought is like why you know like they didn't yeah. need to do that um and it didn't need a sequel truth be told but if there was ever going to be a sequel this one's as good as it gets man this is this baby is bad to the bone and uh it's the first one uh it's the first reanimator on steroids with bigger ambition and more gore i give it an eight out of ten
1: yeah i would uh definitely recommend this over prey
0: and it's actually (laughs) uh yeah it's uh, streaming right now just google it you'll see where it's streaming you know it's uh, available free on some formats some services um also uh aero video did a sick box set of it but um that's long out of print now if you don't have that baby and you you, those of you who listen are listening know what i'm talking about it came with a pen an actual like pen with the green syringe and everything it was a really sweet box set. i was Uh, lucky enough to get it i
1: remember that one you shared
0: yep i was lucky enough to get it but uh that thing's long out of print so uh you can still buy them, you know, on Blu-ray, but uh, Arrow Video knocked that out of the park. With out that of prints,
1: you can always go to eBay.
0: Ugh,
1: you're gonna yeah. pay.
0: Well, you know, now now everything's coming out in 4K, so everybody's trying to offload their Blu-rays. So you might you might just catch a deal. You just might catch a deal. There
1: is so much shit it's being converted, <laughs> converted, <laughs> converted, converted to 4K <laughs> that I'm just like, why? I was on Voodoo looking at sales, and I was like, don't I own this movie? And it was like, yeah, but now it's in 4K. I'm like this is a comedy from like 1992 what the hell do
0: i need it in 4k dude this is the thing is the thing that's really killing me about it is that like i think that this year is the first year like you remember how many movies i would crank out buying and i'm not even really buying many movies anymore this is like the slowest year of movie buying i've had i've literally gone like months in a row without buying a single title because it's like every a scream factory is the fucking worst right now all they're doing is all the movies that i collected over the years and got slip covers for special editions of they're literally just going through their entire catalog and re-releasing everything that they've already put out on 4k every new release is every time they're releasing it's a new, new title it's the fog 4k the howling 4k halloween 4k species 4k all these movies i just bought on blu-ray like two years ago it's like i'm not that sold on 4k yet that i need to rebuy my entire collection for it especially when i have a 4k tv a 4k upscaler blu-ray player and a fucking the 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 blu-rays themselves save two and 4k scans it's like i'm not rebuying my collection and dropping like 40 dollars on a fucking title to replace my whole collection and it's such a money grab Uh, it's 4k is kind of pissing me off but it's not the technology it's the marketing behind it the people like scream factory really take advantage of the fact that they know their their base is like their like their their fans are like they're they're picky about what they want so they they're kind of definitely turning it into a they're they're marketing it and they're they're milking the shit out of it and they're they know what they're doing. They just okay. Let me put it this way. One more thing I'll say. You remember how I just bought Halloween one through five on four K from them with those like slip covers and shit. Mm-hmm. So they put out one through five. So everybody's waiting all this time for them to put out six H two O and Resurrection. Okay. So everybody's like, you know, where are they? And then like the announcement came a few weeks ago that they're going to come out this fall. Scream yeah, Factory. It's coming as
1: a three pack, right?
0: No, dude. They're fucking releasing the entire Halloween set now as a box set saying that under contractual obligations, they're not allowed to put out six, seven, or resurrection. <clears throat> They're not of the yeah six H two O or Resurrection individually. So they put out the first five just to sell them, knowing that they were going to uh, later put the other ones in a set that you could only buy if you bought the whole set with every Halloween film in it. So now those of us that were suckers enough to buy one through five have to rebuy them in a box set if no, we want to get a, I'm the last a, I'm take
1: three. Them <laughs> if we want to get the
0: last three, so it's just one of those things. Like you knew what the fucking plan was. You deliberately were like, let's sell these five, and it's it's the the fact that. The people who b- collect physical media are kind of being pulled and just manipulated into buying shit that they don't need and just unnecessary releases are really starting to bother me.
1: I would say it's all it's all over. I mean, I know woe is me with my digital, but like they had released Batman 89 the one time. They, they had it on sale on Voodoo. I was like, oh sweet, I'll buy it. Two months later, they announced, oh, Batman 1989's coming back to the theaters. We're going to do all the Batmans in theaters, and they're all getting 4K. And I'm like, come on. You just <laughs> had me buy this. You knew damn well you were going to make this announcement.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: It, it does happen with, with, with digital movies. I mean, it's not necessarily the features and stuff you're going to get from you know, physical media, but just even like it's happened to me a couple times where I've got pissed that I saw like a movie on sale and I've bought it for like five bucks. I mean, granted <laughs> it's only five bucks, but then like two months later, it's like, Oh, here's a 4k release of it for 20 bucks. And I'm like, well, damn, I would have just waited and bought it at exactly.
0: 4k. Exactly. Yep.
1: Anyway, we've ran it enough at the end of the fucking synopsis of <laughs> bride of reanimator about 4k and different companies and shit. Anyway, So uh, let's get on to Burn and Learn, the segment of our show where we fill you in on some behind-the-scenes facts about the film we're discussing. In this case, it's going to be a multiple films.
0: (laughs) Let's do it. Oh. Burn and Learn. All right, fuck it. We're going to start off with uh, the first reanimator. We're going to go deep. Um, Dan Kane doing the ghost imitation under the covers wasn't scripted. Uh, The cast rehearsed like a
1: play for a week before filming
0: david gale's wife was pissed off when she first saw the film because david never told her about the head scene
1: dude i can see that being a problem
0: how did you not tell
1: your wife that but
0: that's hilarious
1: it's a pretty pretty good scene uh stewart gordon originally wanted to shoot in 16 millimeter in black and white
0: uh barbara crampton was at a convention and someone approached her to have her autograph a photo of the head scene that we just talked about and she actually asked where the person got it from and got up and went over to the table selling the photos and like Fucking snapped and took all the pictures so they couldn't sell them So, a
1: little, little extra <laughs> Moving into Bride of Reanimator K&B primarily worked on The Bride uh, First time applying the makeup took nine hours They eventually <laughs> got it down to six uh, Two hours to get out of the makeup
0: um, K&B uh, had only formed a year prior to filming Bride of Reanimator And it turned out to be one of their first and most laborious projects ever
1: uh, the Crazies Breaking Out was shot on the first day of filming.
0: Uh, for the makeup on the bride, Gloria, one butt cheek was real and one was a prosthetic.
1: Ain't gonna tell us which one, huh? Fine, to... fine, keep your secrets. All right, then, keep your secrets.
0: Repeated viewings will tell you. <laughs> Sounds really perverted when <laughs> I say that.
1: Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the title was always Bride of Reanimator.
0: Uh, the opening headshot of Dr. Hill is a nod to the legendary William Castle.
1: And, uh, now I guess it's time to get into part two and, uh, finish our interview with Brian Yusner. Well,
0: um, uh, you had brought up, uh, Ken Foray earlier, and, uh, I wanted to, to roll with that real quick because you had also worked with him in From Beyond, and that's one of my all-time favorite movies, and I wanted to ask you, um while you were on uh while you were doing from beyond you had to film the hospital scenes in the beginning of the film in a rundown studio because Dino De Laurentiis's property was seized and stripped for value did you know right then and there that it was going to be a hard movie to make or you know were you already conditioned to making hard movies like that on the fly at that point
2: i don't think from beyond was a hard movie personally i i think the um I was still in the adventure of making movies. That was my third film. Um, you know, professional movie. It's it's film. Film. I didn't think reanimating was hard because I signed the checks. I, I answered to nobody. That's the best. You know, nobody could... Right. I was the final word. You know, so that made it the best. Um, dolls was a little different because it wasn't exactly my taste, you know. But, you know, it's sort of amazing going on. And those were, those were financed by Empire. So Reanimator I paid yeah. Those two I didn't have to pay for and I got a paycheck. With Reanimator, I not only didn't get a paycheck, I had to go into debt to make the movie, right? That's the hell of it. But mm-hmm. now I was getting paid, somebody else was paying for it. Of course, it was a little dicey because in Italy I had to sign all the papers because I was the producer, I had to sign at the bank and stuff. And, of course, Empire was kind of a shady organization. So there was this one point where you kind of go, God, am I going <laughs> to end up going down for somebody else's misdeeds? But, um, but we, shot, we built one set. We built a big uh, house set and we shot both Dolls and From Beyond there. Before we edited Dolls, we shot From Beyond. And From Beyond had a lot of effects, but we had a lot of. Uh, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't um, difficult. I mean, the difficult thing was that I started okay. suing Empire in the middle of the shoot because they had taken all the money from Reanimator. So I was that. I, I was that, um, that guy, you know, I was that typical kind of cliche guy that went to Hollywood and got, you know, got taken, right? It's the, it's the typical mm-hmm. thing. The good part of it was, yeah, I did get taken for all the money, but I got a movie out of it that gave me the opportunity to make more movies, you know. And so, so two of them, right? Yeah, especially
0: me. a movie like Reanimator. Pardon? I said, yeah, especially a movie like Reanimator. That's a way to get your name out there. <laughs>
2: well, thank God, because because I didn't get the money. I had to sue. Cost me six figures to sue just to get the movie back. But all yeah, that movie was hugely <laughs> successful. I would have been a multi-millionaire if I hadn't been kind of cheated out of the. The receipts for it, you know. But hey, you go to Hollywood, you know. <laughs> it's it's the right. old story, right? It's the old, it's the old story. It's um, what's not what's not typical. That's a typical story. What's not typical is that the movie is so good. That's what's not typical. Right. Ninety nine point nine percent of the times. The movie isn't any good. I mean, you know, come on, you know. George Romero, um, hey, George Romero lost all the money out of Return of uh, the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead, because he didn't put the right copyright on the damn print. I mean, maybe that wouldn't happen. the The copyright laws have changed now. You know that. But back then, right. you didn't put it. In yeah. print, if you didn't list, put it in the print, you lost your copyrights. One of the reasons *Return* uh, *Night of Living Dead* was so such a classic so quickly was that it was public domain. That meant when
0: it came out on video,
2: right. everybody could put it out on video. Anybody could put it out on video. That the same thing with. Um,
0: and that's it, also why. Uh there's a lot of it's playing on a lot of movies on TVs in the background because of the public domain. It's exactly. like one of the most and, most seen movies in a movie. And the same
2: thing goes for "It's a Wonderful Life." "It's a Wonderful Life" wasn't a hit when it came out. It was a forgotten movie. But when the video era happened, it happened to have fallen into public domain. I know about that stuff because when I first came out to L.A., the way I made my money the first couple of years. Was I was selling public domain TV shows. I had a couple partners. One was a collector, and the other was a lawyer, copyright lawyer. And I bought an editing system, and um, and we would we, we found out you know the lawyer would go to the to Library of Congress Congress and check out all the copyright notices for the TV shows that our partner had collected. And what happened is the TV from the 50s, you've got to renew it after so many years. But nobody ever thought anybody would want to watch those old TV shows. So it costs something, I forget how much, 10 or 20 bucks to renew each episode. It's kind of like they didn't do it. Boom, we sold Mm. 400 hours of this stuff. And we sold it to like Nickelodeon, the Nickelodeon was just starting. So it's public domain and copyright. Now it's all IP, intellectual property. And this and the companies, all the all the entertainment companies now, streaming services, all this, all of what they're doing is collecting IPs, because that's a value. So if you had an IP, if you've got something of value, you know, you can sell it.
0: Yeah. You know? Right. Absolutely. Um uh and from beyond, uh is it true that Jeffrey Combs' mouth was glued shut from the fix-a-dent on the brain that he ate, so Stuart Gordon did the same thing so he would glue his mouth shut as well.
2: I never heard that. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not true, but I never heard that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's... Uh, okay, I was, I was, I, that's why I wanted to bring that up because it's one of those stories that I've heard over the years where it was like Jeffrey Combs' mouth was glued shut for the fix so would Stuart Gordon it. was like, I'll do it, I'll do it too. <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> well, I, well, I'll tell you what rings true about that is that Stuart would do anything to make an actor do what he told him to. Stuart was somewhat of a dictator on the set. He was a... Stuart, Stuart was directing... You know, I rem- I remember his his brother at his um, at his memorial quoted from a report card he had gotten in grammar school. I think it was grammar school, and the t- teacher said he was very good at directing the other kids in the playground. <laughs> in other words, telling them what to do, <laughs> which is what a director is, right? Telling people what to do. So I think Stewart was born. To be a director, I was not born to be either a producer, director, or anything. I, I did it because I thought it would be a better than the option than the, it looked like a fun, like something that would be fun to do. Um, Stewart, I think was I think he just had one he had this thing about directing, and even in high school, he and Dennis Paoli um, were in the same high school. And they had a, a acting group, a theater group, like a street theater or something, in the high school. When he went to the University of Wisconsin with Dennis as well, because they were both from Chicago, um, he um, he got it, he, he said he couldn't get into the movie, into the film um, curriculum, and so he went into the theater curriculum and became a theater director. And then he got famous. Then he. Did theater when he got out uh, with his wife, Carolyn. And he got famous. This was back in the countercultural days, right? This is, you know, before you guys were born, but it was kind of like today where you think the whole country is going to fall apart. But back then, it just meant that if you had long hair, somebody might beat you up for that, you know. <laughs> if you didn't want to go to Vietnam, it, might be fisticuffs, you know, um, there was a real cultural um, divide and um, and Stewart did a, I think this was one of the formative um, experiences of his life, and I say that with the caveat that what the fuck do I know, right, just from my point of view, uh, and that was that he did a, a a play based on Peter Pan, but all the actors were naked, and he got arrested and taken to jail for it, right? Because it was obscene. And mm. I've seen the the newspaper clippings from that, and I think that I think that that was such a such a trip, such a such a high to be get so much attention for shocking people. And I think Stewart just liked to shock people. And there was this whole us versus them kind of mentality that came out of the 60s. And the us versus them was, I mean, believe it or not, there was this idea when I was in, in high school and college where you couldn't trust anybody over 30. I don't know if you've seen Wild in the Streets. You've seen that Corman movie? No. If you haven't, no. you better watch it. <laughs> and that's about how they take all the old people and put them in concentration camps. Old people by over 30. And all the water is laced with LSD. <laughs> so you got to watch this movie. It's a corporate movie. Wild in the streets. But anyway, that really reflected the era that you couldn't trust anybody that was over 30. Um that sounds kind of sad right now, in a way, right? <laughs> but that's the way people thought. And I think Stewart got got off on the shocking people. And in his theater, I think he learned how to how to direct and how to run a theater. He had a he had his own theater called the organic theater in Chicago that was very well respected. And he was the creative director, and he did he did plays based on everything from sci-fi to thrillers to anything, comedies. And I think he was he's like a legitimate talent in the theater. He's a legitimate director, theater director. And he had been doing it for over 10 years when I met him. So his first movie was Reanimator, but he was a professional theater director. Who like to shock people, like to be excessive. And so I think when people saw Reanimator, I think the thing that Reanimator is like a theater play. It's very it has the rhythms and the and the suspension of disbelief that you get from theater. The acting is fantastic. This guy's a real director. You know, we're used to people doing movies and they do a horror, you know, a lot of people do a horror movie because that's the cheap one to do, it's a safe bet. They don't really want to be a horror director and all that. Stuart didn't want to be a horror director and Dennis has told me this. Dennis Paoli has told me, he says, you know, when we did Reanimator, we could have done any genre in movie, but you wanted to make a horror movie, so we made a horror movie and it was so successful, we just had to keep making, you know. But Stewart did any kind. He and, she, he and Dennis, they did any genre, especially comedy. or They could do, I think he could have done anything. It's just that he did horror, and we made a cheap, cheap movie, which was Reanimator. But who could guess that you could have a first-time director and producer, for that matter, making a cheap horror movie. And, of course, we had the advantage that since I called it, since I was in charge, I wouldn't even give it to the MPAA, you know, because they would cut everything out that was good. So we went extreme with it. And Stewart wanted to go extreme because he's the guy that did the naked fucking Peter Pan. He wants to (laughs) shock people, right? And so, but I think when people first saw it, because it was on some best 10 list for the year, you know, this was was a movie, I mean, it's a really good movie beyond being a horror movie. It's just really good. Who could guess? Because normally that first-time director-producer movie would probably be pretty crappy, and maybe if it was gory and exploitation and enough, it, it, you know, it would, it would be like The Last House on the Left or something, you know, or The Hills Have Eyes, you know, and which weren't even the first movies for, for Wes Craven, but I don't think anybody was ready to have that kind of masterful direction on just a balls-to-the-wall horror, you know, I think it's, it's just beyond belief. We got to dolls and from beyond. Then people were expecting it, and I think it, they didn't make the same splash, especially especially from beyond. I thought was going to be huge, but ultimately maybe it would have made a huge splash if it came before Reanimator, but it really didn't. Um, you know, it didn't hit. I guess we thought it was going to hit the mainstream or something because we put in all these monsters and. and um, Sci-fi elements.
1: And uh, talking about reanimator, is that the film you find people want to talk to you most about? Um, actually, these days
2: um, I get asked more about society. Surprisingly, because for a long time society was the was the ugly duckling. It was the ugly stepchild. Nobody liked it. Nobody, even my friends, didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> in Europe, they, they did in Britain. It was actually uh, quite a success, but back then we didn't have the internet, so who knows what's going on over there? Um, Spain, France, Italy, it you know it had a it, it worked kind of, but in like in in England, I made Society and Bright of Reanimator like back to back, so they kind of came out at the same time. In this country, uh, Reanimator, <clears throat> Society was like reviled. I was depressed. It's my first time directing. And Bride of Reanimator won like the Fangoria Chainsaw Award, right? It was like people liked it. In, in England, Society was a big release and it was even got these all these raves at Sight and Sound Magazine, which is like this kind of artistic film magazine, um, and Bride of Reanimator was considered kind of junk. So there you go, right? You never know. And my even my friends here, with, Stewart would promote society to his credit. I'm not sure if he really liked it or if he just promoted it because <laughs> he felt Because he, you know, he's good to his friends. Um, But it was really odd that, and I thought when I did Society, honestly, back then, you would look at weekly variety every week. It came in paper. It It was a newspaper, right? And they would always list the top grossing movies. And I, I really thought, I thought, man, society, people are going to love that movie. It's going to be number one in the country. <laughs> I really, that's how, that's how psychotic I am. Or, or you know, I, I live in a fantasy world, right? Because I would like to think that my taste is reflected by the popular taste. You know, I would like to be Spielberg, where what I like, everybody likes But what I like, very few people like. It's it's a curse, you know? And so it didn't work out. It got just, I remember on the set of of Bride of Reanimator, like the second or third day shooting, I was with Woody Keith, who had been the writer of Society and also a bride of Reanimator. We got the variety reviewed. Just gay thing, it was just so it was like almost personally insulting, you know it was really, luckily we were on a movie but um, I think that I guess it was about I don't know, 20 years after we shot it in the 2000s boom, all of a sudden this whole different generation started kind of latching onto it And part of it was because of the.
0: It was ahead of its time, like a lot of John Carpenter films. So they found its crowd after all those years.
2: Yeah, I think maybe it was. um, I mean, John Carpenter had had Halloween, for Christ's sakes. That was mainstream fucking success. You know what I mean? That was out. That really worked. Then he did a bunch of, you know, tried to do the fog and it, you know, he started Mm -hmm. getting more money and it didn't quite work. You know, but but he did, yeah, but he did a lot of good stuff, but he never hit that, he never hit that perfection, or if you could call it perfection, if a movie can be that, or that wholeness that Halloween had that just came on the market and it took over, you know. That's, gosh, I never had that, you know, as a director. And even Reanimator never had the, the mainstream that um, Halloween did, Reanimator is mm-hmm. for it was edgy, you know. Um, but um, but society, I think there's in the 2000s there was this there were once it got heavy into the CGI, I think there was this look back at the 80s and especially by people who had been alive then, because I think it was driven by people who had actually been part of the VHS generation, you know, but it it continued with people who hadn't been alive then. And um, VHS was a it was like me watching Corman or, or William Castle movies, you know, or going, you know, it was something you remembered as having open the door to you for this, for enjoying horror. And I think that people, and I think the CGI kind of makes people feel a little empty because there's a, you're basically watching a very, very sophisticated animation, you know? And there's something about puppets, which is what rubber effects are, you know, mechanical and makeup effects. They're, They're puppets. I know Screaming Man George, one of the best effects guy I've ever worked with. He can put his hand in a sock, right, in a stocking, and he can make it come to life. He can perform it for you. Doing that with animation is so hard, you know. It's really it takes so many layers of people to create the animatic and put the skin on and do the, all that, but Someone, but there's puppeteers, they're actors. They can make it come to life. And I think all those effects from the, the, the eighties, um, start, I guess you would, I mean, you can go back to the seventies with, um, what's his name that, uh, that, did, did the night of living dead movies, um, George Romero. No, no, no The effects guy, um, he directed, Oh, uh,
0: uh, new- um, Tom Savini, he also worked
2: on um, Necronomicon with me. Um, But then in the 80s, it became Rob Bottin, right? In the the 70s, it was Mm -hmm. Dick Smith. He taught everybody, right? Dick Smith was the godfather of of, um, rubber effects. Um, Rob Bottin, you know, used to get into the American werewolf and the the, um, howling, the they yeah. are doing replacement, replacement puppets. And, and then of course, the thing, which was, I think, Boteen again, the thing was incredible, mm-hmm. not a successful movie, but my God, what great stuff, right? I mean, can you it's amazing I mean, yeah. What fantastic alien weird shit. Um, so <laughs> all of that stuff, it's so alive because it's puppets. And it never works, of course, really. You've got to just keep shooting to make that stuff work. But I think there was also the way films became, began being financed. It was digital and, and going back to what I said about with digital you don't really have to light unless you really want to. Whereas with film you got no choice you got to take a decision and the fact that 80s can be a little clunky because you can't shoot that much you can't edit so quickly you know you can't just do all these fixes but I think there was the fact that the way things were financed were so kind of grassroots that there were so many little companies doing it there was a I think that ref- was reflected in the content of the movies and I think people in the 2000s some look back with nostalgia to their childhoods when they when they watched you know they would go to the blockbuster and get some horror movie and watch it mm-hmm. with their friends and it would really shock them or whatever they would get into it and then maybe older, Uh, younger people who maybe that was either their older siblings or they look back, right? The way when I was a kid, I wanted to see the universal horror movies. I wanted to see Frankenstein and Dracula and the Creature of the Black Lagoon, but they had been made, um, I guess, you know, 10, 15 years before I was born. And I, could only, I only got to see them on TV, you know, until later when, they, when I was able to see Prince. But So I think there was this look back at the 80s, this nostalgic thing that helped society. And then the other thing I think that helped society was that the effects sequence, the, the body horror part of it, as they call it today, um, was never matched. It was not, it it didn't influence, it did very little of influencing other movies. I mean, it did, you know, but not much. It didn't, it's not like there was a bunch of movies like Society. When you see that, you go, nobody's gonna do this again, ever, you know? It's like watching, um, Mm -hmm. like, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or something. You go, fuck, this is never, nobody's gonna do Dr. Cabinet you know, the Caligari again. So, I think there was that. The effects are just so far out there, and it's kind of disturbing and surrealistic, and you know, um, and then the final thing is that because it made a new monster out of class struggle, which is sort of this political undertone based on The fact that, you know, when I grew up, when I was in college or high school, it was the civil rights era. You know, it was Martin Luther King and it was Kennedy getting assassinated. The Vietnam War and people marching against the war and everybody was very political and SDS. And it was like everything was political and it was a hell of a lot of fun, right? Because you're young. And so this whole idea of taking this class class struggle type of idea and making a monster out of it gave it a it was not what was going on for the Reagan era. Because in the Reagan era when it was made, it, the idea in the US was there aren't any classes. We don't have we don't have classes. You just have to work hard and you'll get rich. That's the myth of America, right? And that was certainly the presiding myth of the Reagan era. Well, when we got into the 2000s, we hit the Great Recession. And I think the young people that experienced the Great Recession, you know, it was shocking. And they started seeing there was a whole bunch of real rich people and there was a whole bunch of people that were having a hard time. And so I think that, that, you know, Occupy Wall Street type thing, I think that... um, made the, and, and especially because that's when all this message-forward stuff happened. And so I think that made it seem like, wow, that's a message movie. It was never meant to be, <laughs> but it was there because I was trying to make a new monster. I thought, hey, here's an opportunity to make a new monster. But um, So I think for all those reasons, it has more interest now than it ever did. And hey, I'm I'm happy for it. I showed it in Korea last week, you know, and all these young <laughs> Koreans are watching *Society*. You know. The other one I showed was *Dagon*, which was the last movie I did with Stuart, and I think his last um, his his last Lovecraft movie, and I guess mine too. <laughs> well.
0: Um- so you uh, funded Reanimator though with money that you borrowed, and you personally guaranteed it back to investors, so that you could do whatever you wanted with the movie. So no one was watching over your back, like we had kind of talked about earlier. You said, thinking back on it, that that probably wasn't a good idea. At any point, did you or Stuart, did you and or Stewart think we aren't going to get away with making this? Like we're going too far?
2: No, no, and I, I don't think it was a mistake for me because it. Otherwise, I never – I don't know if I could – I mean, I got – you know, I didn't hit it big like I thought I would. When I was younger, I thought – I just always thought I was going to have some huge hit. You know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm – I guess it's just the um, – I guess it's just the um, – exhilaration of youth or the madness I, and not even so young because like I said I didn't start making I didn't direct society till I was like almost 40 years old you know I didn't get into right. the movies until I was in my thir- until I was in my 30s it's not like I, I I wasn't I'm not that guy that you know kind of had a a, a track in life or, uh, you know, I was kind of, I I was like, you know, I had a store and I had a restaurant and I was a carpenter and I built houses. You know, I just did, you know, I, I made the big mistake that when I went to college, it was the whole hippie time and I bought into it. So I took too much LSD and I did you know, I went out and lived in the country, I, and, you know, I was like an idiot, you know. And I thought, hey, the revolution's coming, and, you know, it's going to be a whole new world. I bought into it, and it didn't happen. And I was not, um, I had no preparation for life the way my kids, for example, they have they have their plan. You know, I think today people, mm-hmm. you know, they go to college, they go way into debt for it, they you know, they have they 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 they're like really taking their lives seriously, and I don't know if it's my nature or because of the era when I came of age that you know I didn't do that, and so I had no plan. And I but when I saw when I got an inkling that you could make a living, you know, I was making a living, you know. Um, Right. But, and everything I did, I loved, you know. I mean, when I had, I had an art supply store. I I painted paintings at one time, sold paintings. I had an art supply store, and man, I was just dying to get up in the morning and go into that damn store to sell brushes and paint. I mean, go figure, right? You're young. Everything's great, right? Everything when you're young is just fantastic, right? Everything is, you have the energy. Well, when I started making movies, I just thought that I mean, I didn't know about how the business was. I didn't know what the studio system was or I didn't have any goals to to be a great artist or to or to make huge studio pictures. I just had this idea that if I could make movies and make my living that way, that seemed like a better you know, that would be more fun than, than running a store or, you know, doing, you know, constructing houses or something. And so that's, and, right. and I got fucked up in it because uh, people who, you know, when you make a, even an amateur movie or something, you get swept up in the in the process. You start discovering what everybody else has discovered before you, which is that there's a way that you do it and there's a, you know, there's a, um, I don't know, I guess it's like cooking or something. If you learn to cook, you find that there's all these techniques to it, and it works. You can learn it. Or say, you guys, I see you've got these real fancy microphones and stuff. You probably have gotten swept up in this idea that, wow, we can get the sound so good, and can edit it this way, and you get, you know, the... The whole, it's the process almost that becomes more important than the content, you know. And for me, the, the content's necessary, and for you too, because you got to get people to watch it. You know, that's the whole point. you got to right. have people. You don't want to do it without an audience, you know. You want, the audience yeah. is what makes it kind of all worthwhile, you know. Yep. And so that's how I, that's how I looked at it. And I didn't... Um, I didn't really feel like, um, you know, as I was doing it, I knew so little. I was so ignorant that um, I just kept thinking I was going to hit it huge because I was young and, I, and not even that young. I was in my 30s and I still had this idea that things were just going to get better, you know. But it, I didn't hit that. You know, I didn't get to that level. But on the other hand, I you
0: guys are talking to me. You know. Yeah, you did something <laughs> right, right? <laughs> I've been mean, well,
2: I, I made a oh. bunch of movies a long time ago. I'm an old man and you guys are going, hey we're gonna talk to Brian News and it's kinda of like, oh I'm good. Hey, that's better than a kick in the face. Right? It's better than yeah, if I right. made a bunch of movies that nobody even cared about. You're, you want to know about The Dentist? Hey, I'm willing to talk about it. Who cares, right? You just think, hey, I did that movie was made like, I don't know, how many years ago? 25 years? 26 or 20 so, years.
0: Yeah. Years. yeah.
2: Hey, I've made a bunch of movies nobody gives a crap about. And they probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, um, you and Stuart Gordon would watch horror movies every weekend at your house so that you could keep up on what was current in the genre at the time and outdo it with Reanimator. Were you surprised by how far you had to take things in regards of nudity and sexuality and gore to outdo the movies that were coming out then? No,
2: no. We didn't look at it that way. We watched a bunch of movies, and it wasn't just on the weekends. Um, I've always had, since they had big screens, I've had a big screen you know i went i bought into that real early when they were terrible right <laughs> now god you can if you don't have a projection television i think you're you're just not into movies because and i'm not going to ask you guys if you have one because you can go get one next time but you know for very little You can get super quality, and you can project it on your wall. You don't even need a screen. You don't even have to get a screen, and you can have a big screen. I think that, so I always had a big screen, and so we would always do it at my house, and we watched a hell of a lot of movies. Um, To a certain degree, I'm not sure we were trying to be more, I don't think we are trying to outdo anybody. I, all I know, I, what, what I told Stuart going in is I said, listen, I've watched, I watch a ton of horror movies and cheap horror movies, which this is going to be a cheap one, are I've seen a lot of them. And the ones that are just deadly, the ones that are real failures, is when they try to be respectable. You can't do a cheap horror movie and maintain your your respect of your neighbors. So we ain't we cannot hold back with the exploitation, and that was and that was the. It wasn't that we we're trying to outdo anybody. It was that, it was just that we're not going to try to be respectable about this. We're going to go pedal to the metal, and um, and luckily. You know, Stewart wanted to shock people. (laughs) You know, that was my great, that was my great, you know, my great talent was that I chose him (laughs) to make a movie with.
1: Was there anything that was cut at all that you thought went too far, or was there just nothing that was off limits? No, no. Well,
2: I mean... We, di- we didn't see eye to eye with the final cut of the movie, uh, not when it was going you know, not on the process. Because, you know, Stewart was living in Chicago and he was working at the Organic Theater and he wasn't getting paid enough on this movie. He had a family, you know. Stewart had, I think, two daughters by that time. I had two kids. Stewart was, I brought him from Chicago with his wife And they didn't. um, We, I brought them at Thanksgiving in '84, and then we shot until Christmas, and then he edited until January, and then he went back to Chicago to work. And we would send, and Lee Percy, who's one of the unsung heroes of Reanimator, a really terrific um, editor, um, would, we would, I would. He would do the cut, I, I would sit with him, and I was learning from him, and um, and then we would make a VHS tape and send it to Stuart, and he'd make notes and send it back. One of the things that we did was the guy who introduced me to Stuart's a guy named Bob Greenberg, and he got this club in L.A., it was called the... Um, I don't know, the Society of Sci-Fi Horror and Fantasy Films or something. They give out an award every year and now it kind of seems like a legitimate thing. But back then it was a club and we got them to come to a recruited screening. So we showed the picture with just sound effects and dialogue and some music, I think, I'm trying to think. But... um, And then they filled out papers, you know, saying what they thought about it. And we, then we edited the movie again. And I had some disagreements with Stewart on a few, on just a couple things. um, Besides the fact that Lee Percy reconfigured some of the structure of the movie. But for example. You pushed for the um,
0: opening sequence, didn't you?
2: Not the well, the opening sequence we shot after we edited, so we shot the opening. I we needed to shoot some more effects for the ending, there was stuff we were missing, so we did reshoots okay after, after that. And, and Stewart came back to direct the three shoots, so we shot the opening sequence after we had edited the movie. Um, because I felt that we, we had a scene already written, but we didn't have time to shoot it. And Stuart and Dennis, I think, both thought they it wasn't necessary. But when I saw the movie put together, I felt like we needed to put some real hard stuff up front because the audience wouldn't be ready for it. Was coming. We needed to let them know what's going to happen with this movie, and that prologue ended up being very important to it. And I think I think almost anybody will say that it's one of the best scenes in the movie because you get to introduce yeah, West kind of the way you want to see him. I gave him life, right? right. And you get to see <laughs> that great John Beacle effect of the ice popping out, and when you see that, you go, "Whoa." I see where this movie's going, right? If you don't see that, it takes you until the cat scene, fifteen minutes in, before you see anything.
0: Oh, oh, so, that's I never so thought of the, it like that.
2: Um, yeah, and so originally, all we had was this this scene with this this corpulent woman naked be as Dan Cain is trying to bring her to life, and I, I remember telling Stuart, and I, you know, that, you know, we don't want to see that much of that. It's a dead corpse, but she's not attractive in a traditional sense, and I know this is not really politically correct right now, but if she was a good-looking corpse, it would be okay. At least back then, you know, I, I, Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I know that's not right, (laughs) but that's how we thought back then. And he said, no, no, no. He said, no, we got to hold on this. We got to show this because it's going to, because people are going to go, whoa, what are they going to do next? This is not, you know, this is like, dead corpse type stuff and I was not I wanted to limit that scene and another scene for example would be something with the you know with Dr. Hill with the brain and all that you know when he's giving his his his, um, lecture it's not that um, it's it kind of went on it didn't seem right. like a lot of fun. Um, another one was when the head is giving head, right? With, <laughs> with the actress on the table and the head, uh, what he, he kisses her breasts bloodily and then he moves down between her legs. Well, of course, we had a lot more footage of that. But what I saw when I saw the audience was that there's a point where the audience gets what's gonna happen and they scream, but if you run keep running it, they start feeling unhappy with themselves. They start saying, why am I liking this? Right? So there's a it dips, you know, the 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 sense in the in the in the audience. And so that's what I pushed was to cut it much tighter everything cut everything much tighter in the movie and especially to to move the horror up to the point of there's a point where you get diminishing returns and i think that's i think you see that in the dentist with the with the scene where corbin is is torturing his wife pulling out her teeth that You really don't see, you get to the point where you hit that moment and I don't want to make that an argument against the idea that you shouldn't see the monster and that people always say it's what you don't see that's scary and all that kind of crap. It's not that, it's that when you see the monster, you don't want to see the monster so goddamn much that it becomes familiar to you. You know, you really want to, you, you know, it's not about not seeing it, you know trying to be consistent. <laughs> it's not about that. When I talk about, I think people who say, oh, the scariest way you don't see anything. When I argue against that, it's because I'm a horror fan. And I like to see the shit. Right. I like to see the monster. And I don't want to wait till the end of the movie to see it. And I want to see, you know, I. but I know that if you want to get an effect out of something, you can't play it too long. You've got to, you know, you've got to get to the point where people are right at the pitch and then drop away. And I think that was the right way to do reanimate. I mean, I think it, I mean, it obviously worked. I, when I look at it, I don't see any, honestly, I don't see any editing, any any fixes I would do to that movie. And, I've, of course, I've seen all the outtakes and all that. I would never... It would be like you know some of the outtakes. You know, I know that now they have the integral version. There's all these you know every scene in it, but it's like The Exorcist when they added the scene of Drew Barrymore going down the stairs and that spider type of thing. Doesn't work in the movie, you know. It it lessens the movie, and you I think you have to be. You have to be. You do want to show everything. You do want to give it the punch. You don't want to cut back to lessen the effect. You want to cut back to keep the effect where it should be.
0: Absolutely, that makes complete sense. And uh, I just want to say. That I am—I've always been a, a fucking avid fan of *Bride of Reanimator*. Personally, I grew up with it, and it stands toe to toe with the first film for me. And uh, a lot of people, I do agree with that in the horror community. So I want to know: Were you intimidated at all by the pressure of? I know you were involved heavily in the first one, but when you took up the mantle to do the sequel, were you? Uh, was Was there a lot of pressure? Were you a little intimidated?
2: Well, obviously, on the first one, I didn't know any better. I thought it was my movie. And I was very, you know, and it was just a success. Only one time do I remember the first movie disappointing me. There was a, we had a cut and we were in the midst of cutting. And um, I don't know if you know what a movieola is. A moviola is like an edit. It's an old fashioned editing machine for film. And the screen on it is about this big. And you use mm-hmm. your foot to press it. And you, go, you know, it runs through. Um, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that. Uh, you, you can look it up.
2: But normally, even when I started, we we cut on flatbeds where you had a couple reels of film up there and you had a bigger screen. And, you, and they moved their, you know, they moved the... You know, move the the film through. Moviolas were uprights, and they were real small screens, and that's how they used to cut. Like before I started, right? But they always use. We've used moviolas um, to like the assistant editor would use a moviola to to cuts to make real make spools of scenes. Like it would take. He would take different cuts. He'd go through and cut it. And, you know take the raw th- the raw print and cut it into tapes and hang them up and then the main editor would usually cut it on on a flatbed. Um, the, I watched it in you know when we were in the middle of the cut. I watched it on a movieola with um, Peter Minujan. Peter Minujan, Was an editor, was a director at Empire, and he also was a production manager, I think. Um, And he, I loved what Empire was doing back when I met them. Um, And he, Peter was, um, he directed, what did he, he directed Eliminators and directed a couple movies for for Empire, and he was the, the, a production manager for him. And he his father was this famous um, professor of film at NYU that Scorsese bows to and all this. So he had this famous father. He was making movies and was really savvy about it. He's, he was like one of the people around that I knew that really... I, you know, really knew about movies, Peter Mnugin. Um and I showed the cut to him. showed showed him the cut of Reanimator. It was It was a bit long. Stewart's original cut of Reanimator was over two hours long. Oh wow! Well, I had Lee really cut it down to where it ended up being 87 minutes with credits, and there was a little. Yeah back and forth between me and Stuart of course if Stuart hadn't gone along with it I wouldn't have done it he went along but he wasn't he wasn't really in favor of it you know I mean it was his first movie right mine too right but but so he went along with cutting it cutting it cutting it and but at this point I showed the I think it was like God, two hours and more than two hours long, right? And um, Pete looked at it. I sat with him, and my heart sank. You know, I could tell that it just wasn't wasn't what we hoped. wasn't up there. So we did cut it way back. That was one time. That was maybe the only time I watched anything from from Reanimator throughout the movie from the script through the dailies anything where I wasn't just jazzed right I did see effects that I didn't like and I tried to re- repeat or redo in the um, in the edit in the reshoots um, there was little bits of geese you know things right I the cat I never liked the cat I thought the cat should be more demonic more crazy and I had John Beekler actually shoot a whole nother cat bit, but it looked like he did it like it was Ghoulies. I don't know if you know Ghoulies, but he did all these, he did the movie. Yeah, of course, of
0: course. And it
2: looked like Ghoulies. I ended up using Tony Dublin's cat, and it was just fine. But I was was obsessed. And uh, with your first movie, it's all there is, right? And um, so... We, you know, we, we cut it back, and um, and that I think that was the only thing the only time I ever looked at Reanimator where it wasn't wonderful. The um, even when we were doing the ADR, I remember going to the ADR studios, and ADR is um, looping like automatic dialogue recording, it's you know, having the actors redo it because the sound wasn't good, and um. It would be all these old guys, like old like me, younger than me, but still old, because they're working on these shit little horror movie when they used to work on these big movies. Because now they're old, and you have to go to the big, you know, do the, this, you know, these recording studios. And I remember doing, supervising the ADR, for Reanimator, and people were coming in to watch it. You know, other people from other stages, and I went, wow, everybody likes this. They're they're getting off on it. So I think that that was, you know, that's the way it went. And the first screening was at the Cannes Film Market, not the festival. We were in the market, but at the same time. It was at midnight at the Star Theater. People were in line around the block in the rain to see it, and it had never played before. And it got the biggest effect, the biggest, I mean, you couldn't have wished for a better response, you know. They had to move the reels over to the next theater, it was a triplex um, in Cannes, um, so that they could fit everybody in. And at the end, during the music, everybody was clapping their hands and stomping their feet. And Roger Ebert was there, and I buttonholed Roger Ebert. I just thought, hey, movies, what's not to like? <laughs> of course, since then, I've had a lot of real bad movies, and it doesn't work that way. But when you have anything that works out well, you should enjoy it.
1: And uh, Barbara Cramden didn't return for the sequel. Uh, was there any reason she didn't come back? I think the, I don't know, Maybe
2: the, I think maybe the part was too small for her. We only had her... I, I had her for the um, for the um, the prologue. I wanted to pick up right where the movie left off, and um, she didn't want to do it. And I shot it with another actress, and then I cut it. Um, you know, the sequel. I worked with Stuart and Dennis on on the script for a sequel. It was always going to be called Bride of Reanimator. And the original script that Stuart and Dennis and I were working on was West and Dan Kane were um, working at a mortuary undercover. And then, you know, Barbara was in it, uh, Meg was in it. And the only character that survived that was the finger eye creature that was in Bride. (laughs) <laughs> and for some reason, I just glommed onto that. It was like it's like with society, I had this idea of this flesh melding together, and I couldn't let go of it. I made the script all about that. With this, I just wanted to see this. I wanted to have this I just imagined this fingers walking around with an eyeball, you know this little creature. And so that was in it. But we were working on it. I think it was in January or February. And um, and then the, I got the money from the, the same Japanese companies that finance society. but they said we had to shoot in the second week of June. or they I, it must have been some tax thing or something. But it was like a hard thing. And I went to Stewart and I said, look at, Um, we got to get this script done because I have to shoot in June. And he said, well, we can't do it. We were working on the treatment at that time. He said, no, we need six months. I can't make it for them. And um, he wouldn't budge on that. And so then I paid them off and I started over. I started a new script, a new story completely with um, Woody Keith and Rick Fry, who had written Society. So we just came up with a whole new story and just, I mean, we got our script, our first draft of the script on May 1st, which was five weeks before we are going to shoot. And, um, which was the day we opened the, the, um, the production offices and we started, started, um, casting then, and, um, Barbara turned us down. And Jeffrey at first said he wasn't going to do it, and then he finally did. Thank God. And um, David Gale, in April, had called me up. He played Dr. Hill. And he called me up and said, Hey, I hear you're doing a sequel. I said, Yeah. And he said, What's in it for me? Which is what actors always ask. What's in it for me? <laughs> and I said, "I said, Man, I don't know. I, I You know, in the first movie, you... You know, your head got cut off, and then it got scrunched and squeezed like a sponge and thrown against a wall. I don't think there's anything. And he said, "Hey, listen, I don't know, man. I could have some ideas about that." And I thought, man, nobody else wants to do this movie. He wants to do the movie, so we put Doctor Hill as one of as the main thing, right? And you know, when we put. Bat wings on his head—that was scary. Yeah, that made me. Yeah, it was totally, totally daunting and insecurity to do a sequel to Rihanna. I mean, just totally. A, but I didn't have any choice. You know, you got to go up and crash and burn if that's what happens. You know, I've done it enough. So, but yeah, it was really, it was really. Um, kind of daunting, you know, to think that you're going to try to fall a reanimator. But, you know, even then, back then, I was uh, I was so full of myself. I just kept thinking I could do anything.
1: Yeah, I love that bat head. Uh, that was an awesome effect. And uh, like, like you said, you had Jeffrey Combs back. Uh, did that help make you think maybe the sequel was in good hands because you had him back on board?
2: You know, it would have been tough. I, you know, people like him, you know. When we did the third one, all I had was Jeffrey, and nobody else who shot it in Spain, for Christ's sakes, nobody even knew about those movies. So you can see, even just with Jeffrey and me, I think we made the third one seem like a reanimator movie. That's pretty tough with all Spanish actors. and There was a British guy that oh, yeah. played the, the, you know, the Dan King part. But gee whiz, you know. So I think people really identify that the the, um, the property with with, with um, Jeffrey. You know, I think he's. He, of course, I try and the second one, even on the third one, I really tried to do it kind of the way I would. Ho- I thought that maybe Stuart would do it. Of course, I can't. I can't direct actors like he does. I don't have the same, you know, I don't have the fa- facility of storytelling that he had, so it can't, can't have that. But what I could do is do the things I like, which are kind of over the top effects and really weird stuff, you know. And so that, that second one had to kind of survive off of, you know, it's not gonna have the most tight story or anything, it's not going to have the great acting but it would hopefully make up for it with you know, extravagant um, kind of effect spectacle and gore and stuff.
0: Um, well, I, I think you're selling yourself short. You did a fine job. You did a fantastic job on that movie. And uh, there's, there's some things that our listeners might not know. This movie was filmed in five weeks and the opening tent scene took a week alone to film k and effects were working on this film for 24 hour shifts to get their practical effects done so Brian was this the hardest uh, you've ever worked on a project
2: I don't know maybe um, I mean I tried to go I tried to go 10 hours with the first crew and then bring in a second crew and keep going for another 6 or 7 hours I couldn't do it I did go to the point where I just couldn't stay awake. I tried to, you know, I, because, hey, I was signing the checks. They put the money in the bank. I was signing the checks. I called all the, you know, it's the best. That's the best way to make movies is when you That's sign right. the checks, you direct, you can control everything. But you have to, but also, I, I, I think the caveat is. I I don't I never wanted to do everything. I just want to be in control. And okay. but I really want to have strong collaborators. It's not like I I don't feel like I think if I did everything, I would do the same movie over and over again, and the only way not to is to get really cool people that you like their work and and to and to Go off that. So it's not like I don't feel like. I mean, with Bride, you know, I'm I'm screaming that George biggest fan. You know, I he did all oh, the yeah. weird shit at the end. I, I mean, we. I wanted him to do that. I want his ideas and that stuff is is what he does, not what I do, right? And I like right. um, Woody Keith, who, who's now changed his name to Seth Daniel. And he has a new movie out called Girl Next right now. And I think The Quantum Devil is his next one. But he, I loved his writing. You know, he's just uh, got this great sensibility. And so for me, it's about the collaborators. But I want to be in control. <laughs> just like everybody, right? You just... <laughs> <laughs> just want to run run the whole show and but to a certain degree i think that's what has kept me to be kind of a big frog big frog in a little pond you know i probably could have done much bigger things if i'd been willing to you know to take a smaller smaller part in it but we all make our decisions and with with pride yeah we worked like hell i think K and B never forgave me for their experience on that movie, and I think a lot of people kind of got tired of me. You know, when I when I work on movies, I get a little bit obsessed, and and I'm not certainly, you know, not always right. But um, I like Brad, every animator. I mean, there's things I wish I could change, you know, but there's a lot about it that I like. I love, you know, the you know when. West is demonstrating the bride, you know, the legs of the mm-hmm. streetwalk. Mm-hmm.
1: You
2: know, I, I love that idea. I don't think it's ever, it ever, ever really delivers. But I always like this idea of someone made up of different limbs from different kind of people and how they would act. Right. You know, and of course, I'd love to see where West says, you know, blasphemy against what God, you know, that to me, it's like Frankenstein. That's the whole theme of Frankenstein is this idea that the creator turns against the creator, the creation. And that's what Frankenstein did. He got disgusted by his monster in the book, especially. And he's disgusted by this thing. And I think we all can relate to that because there's this idea that, you know, maybe our parents think we're not good enough or, you know, or our lover thinks we're not good enough. Or, you know what I mean? It's, you know... You, Definitely. Uh, you know, the idea that humankind is just shit. God could turn from us because, damn, can't we be better than that? You know? I think that is the theme of Frankenstein, you know? And that's the kind of the pride of reanimatory. And Dan Cain. He creates this woman for himself based on the heart of his lost love. And so of course the favorite scene is when she pulls out her heart and says, Is this what you want? You know. Who nope, can't relate to that? <laughs> you know, who can't relate to that on a romantic level? So there is stuff in it that I, I, I really like. I think it's a you know, it's a you know, I'm not I could change a lot in that movie, but but there is a lot of great stuff in it. Hey, listen, guys, I'm going to bail out of this. Yeah, yeah, I've okay. got to go I think dinner downstairs. So anyway, it was a great, it was great talking to you. Thanks a lot. I hope you, you know, make sure you throw some clips in to this, you know. We can get away with it, you know nobody's gonna come
1: after you just make them short no problem and thank you again for being on it was a great talk thank you so much Brian it was a pleasure man
2: okay guys
0: hasta la vista thank you sir alright so it was such an honor talking to Brian wasn't it man
1: hell yeah that was uh by far the longest we've talked to anybody
0: yeah the most in-depth uh, deep dive interview for sure we've ever done it was uh, great to have him on and uh before we wrap up here i promised our listeners last week that i would drop a lot of knowledge nugs uh this episode um so here we go uh what me and you are going to read these off john uh these are notes that uh they're not notes that i've taken off of online any online source These are facts from my own notes because I'm a nerd that I've taken over the years from watching bonus features and listening to interviews. These are all word of mouth. These are not internet hearsay. These are legit. Uh, Since Brian talked with us about society, let's start there. Knowledge Nug. The shunting scene took three days to shoot. Also, Screaming Mad George, the makeup effects man behind the film, was making one monster a day for the shunting scene.
1: Damn. That's, uh cranking out some monsters that sounds, yeah for sure that sounds like cranking hog. that came out wrong cranking out monsters <laughs> we'll start using that one anyway uh the blanchard tape on beach was filmed the first day speaking of blanchard uh the blood in his death scene is to enforce that he's dead because you don't actually see him die
0: uh in the original script it was a blood cult who drained all of your blood
1: Uh, Brian Usna was attracted to the script because it was stuff you'd never seen before.
0: That's fucking true. (laughs) Like the shunting? Yeah. uh, There was no money and only a few extras. Everyone else at the shunting were friends and crew, and the extras that did come had to bring their own tuxedo.
1: Man, people, you gotta bring your own tuxedo. (laughs) That's not cheap. No. Uh, The shunting took three days to film.
0: And uh, there were 12 people under the shunting to make it move.
1: Uh, and the shunting scene was voted number one grossest scene by Empire Magazine
0: and there was no gore in the shunting scene because they wouldn't get an R rating and Brian Yusin said that the viewer would be paying attention to the wrong thing if it was gory so I guess you know slime was the way to go Now if uh, you're listening to this episode then hopefully that means you've seen Return of the Living Dead 3 because it's awesome and we're going to drop some knowledge nuggets on that now Um, I didn't get to talk with Brian about that one. maybe next time Uh, after these, John, you can wrap us up I mean, we did get
1: to talk about a lot though
0: That's true, there's just so many more things you know, but uh, uh, yeah, okay, go ahead
1: So the opening credits are scenes cut out of the R-rated version in the original sewer scene Julie heavily pe- ah, ah, pe fucking pieces. She pieced herself. (laughs) That sounds fun, though. Anyway, Julie heavily pierces herself up, but they had to cut it so that's why you're seeing it in the opening credits.
0: Yeah, I like how Brian found a way to incorporate those scenes back into the movie somehow. Um, Return of the Living Dead 3 was the only film in which lead actor Melinda Clark went by Mindy Clark. She wanted to be a little bit more serious after
1: this. I guess you can't go by Mindy no more. (laughs) The half guy on the table at the end of the film was done by the art department because the effects team wouldn't add anything else.
0: They were too busy. Uh, John Penny, the writer of the film, makes a cameo as a soldier in the film.
1: Due to the eyepieces and contacts, the first zombie in the film would stumble around and the crew would have to move him around.
0: I believe it. The zombie's badass looking, though. Um, This was a 24-day shoot. Fucking Brian to always doing those tight schedules, dude.
1: That's their own water in the sewers. They had a fresh water truck supply their water so that Mindy and the cast didn't have to uh, lay and walk around the dirty water.
0: Yeah, that's a blessing. Uh, Trimark, as I said, uh, Trimark wanted a sequel in the Return of the Living Dead series, but didn't insist on using any characters from previous films or making it a comedy, so Brian Newsman had a lot of creative freedom on this one.
1: Uh, Riverman's robot suit at the end was incredibly heavy due to the fact they couldn't afford lighter material, and it was very hard to move in it so uh like do you got anything else or can i wrap this damn episode up
0: <laughs> that'll conclude our knowledge nugs
1: all right so uh i mean thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in and uh thank you kindly and uh thank you brian again for uh giving us enough to have two whole fucking episodes out of this Seriously. Uh, make sure you don't check out prey <laughs> that was good uh, Apparently you should Apparently I'm, a, I'm one of the few people I mean even the critics like it and I don't Which is interesting Like, I feel like I'm by myself on
0: this Watch it, don't watch it, John don't care
1: Yeah, I really don't <laughs> unless, unless Unless you're gonna agree with me Then you should watch it And just tell me that Well I guess, why would you If I'm telling you it's bad So watch it to confirm my bias that it's bad And waste your own time Thank you Uh, Follow us on social media as always And then uh, you'll get our next episode Uh, Follow us at High on Horror 420 I was curious to say Add Gmail Follow (laughs) us at High on Horror 420 Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok That's got to be everything
0: Yeah just about
1: There's too much shit as I said last week Every week there's a new fucking social media app It feels like we are not on Snapchat. I can tell you that much. Or OnlyFans. You don't want to see that.
0: I'll show you pictures of my collection. Of money. <laughs> Pay me to look at my toys. And not <laughs> those toys. You know, the actual toys.
1: Hot toys. Wait, that doesn't help.
0: <laughs> <laughs> actual hot toys. But yeah.
1: Anyway. Uh, so yeah, if I get our next episode announcement on social media. Uh, sign up for our email list at highonhar.com and you'll get that sent directly to your inbox and new episodes. And you can always email us at HighOnHorror420 at gmail.com for the PPA.
0: Puff puff ass. <laughs> As- yes, well, uh, you know what? Anybody listening out there who gives a damn, write in some questions to John about pray. I would love to <laughs> hear you guys harangle him a little bit about it. Is that word a haraggle? Did I make that word haragle? up? Haraggle? Gonna haraggle me up, about it? Huh? it just- I don't even know what that means. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, write uh, write in for some PPA, some puff puff ass. Let's see if you got some questions for John or even remarks. Uh, send him some questions about Rob Zombie's Halloween too. We'd love to talk okay. about it.
1: Tell Drew how much you love Eli Roth. <laughs> Anyway, we need to get out of here. Yeah. I think that about wrap her up. Catch you later.
0: Bye, everybody. See you next week.